This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. To receive a free copy of Bob Buford's classic book, Halftime, moving from success to significance, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. All right, this is your host, John Ramstead, and I am so stoked today. Welcome back, Dory Clark, to the podcast. Dory, how are you? I am great. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, man, our pleasure. Uh, Sandra and I were just chatting with Dory before we hit record, just catching up, and so many cool things are happening in, in your world and your life and uh, down, you know, living in New York City, and I just really want to encourage folks. Uh, the Our last interview, Dory, was on a book that you wrote a couple of years ago called Stand Out and How to Live a Full Life and Develop Your Own Personal Breakthrough Idea, and it's episode 53, but I would encourage you guys to go... Uh, and read about that because, you know, Dory, uh, you've written three books. And now I, I like how you framed it. It's like this trilogy. The first one was Reinventing You. And that was really how do you kind of figure out who you are? What is that, you know, what you should be doing? What is that career? And then in Stand Out, right, you know, how do you really kind of develop that platform as an expertise, differentiate yourself? As you went through that journey, right, you're like, okay, well, I've done this. I've kind of connected to this. I'm starting to be seen as an expert, but I really want to create a business that's rewarding emotionally, intellectually, financially, and those are all important. Um, so you really kind of had a th – these kind of things progressed in stages, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. The The books that I wrote – it was not originally intended to be a trilogy. Uh, when I first got started, I, I was excited to write one book. <laughs> that was yeah. that was great. Um, but but different problems presented themselves at different phases in my career. Different problems that I had to solve. Uh, so my first book was reinventing you about how do you how do you transition into the job or the career that that you're called for. And stand out is of course how to how to get your your talents recognized. How to make sure you're making the biggest contribution that you can. And and then finally, Entrepreneurial You is uh, is this last uh, book in the trilogy, which is about the question of how do you make sure that you're able to earn a good living from it, that you are able to uh, to really be be compensated for your efforts and, and build a, a great living for your family through uh, what you're bringing to the world. And so here's a question for you right now with everything happening in the world, right, the economies are growing, uh, you know, trade is happening. It just feels like from a business standpoint, we'll, we'll leave all the other issues in the world uh, on the side for a second, but it does feel like there's more opportunity and things are accelerating. And I think now, you know, people that are entrepreneurial or people that have already started a company or that you already have an existing mature company, I really think there's a significant entrepreneurial opportunity right now. So this this topic, I think, is so germane to the time that we're in. And I'd love for you to maybe share your thoughts on what that entrepreneurial opportunity is that exists right now. Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right, John. In terms of the entrepreneurial opportunity, I mean, some of your listeners may be familiar with uh, a well-publicized study that came out from, uh, from the software company into it, which said that by the year 2020, 40% of Americans will be either freelance or contract employees. The number actually right right now, as we stand two years out, is about 37%. That's from a, a study that was commissioned by the Freelancers Union. And so we, we, are, we are virtually there at the place where nearly half of, of workers in our country have uh, the, these kinds of, you know, 
non-traditional, I will say, at least according to how America has conceptualized itself, uh, job arrangements. This is not just an American situation as well. About 25% of European workers, according to a McKinsey Global Institute study, now have some kind of freelance or or contract-based arrangement as well. So internationally, there's a growing trend toward more autonomy. And of course, a lot of times the coverage of that showcases the challenges. You know, what do you do about healthcare? What do you do, you know, if you if you don't have the quote unquote security that comes with a, a full time regular job? Um, but of course, the flip side of that is massive opportunity. It's a chance for people to really move into areas that they love, that they're passionate about. That they can make a big contribution. There is, if you do it right, unlimited financial upside. Uh, but the trick is, of course, to make sure that people are seizing those opportunities in the right way. Now, when you say unlimited financial upside, you know, a lot of people are, you know, looking at, you know, here's what I know how to do. Here's my world. Here's my skills. And, um, you know, what do you think it takes to, you know, the first step toward kind of pivoting toward expanding your own personal economic opportunities? I think that when it comes to expanding your own personal economic opportunities, part of it is really developing you know, a quote unquote entrepreneurial mindset. And mm. what I mean by that, it's actually something that I that I learned personally well before I even began to think of myself as an entrepreneur. Um, for me, a kind of formative moment was I was laid off from uh, from my first job as a newspaper reporter. And I was on staff at a weekly newspaper in Boston. I covered uh, politics. And so I'd be I, could, I wanted another full-time journalism job, but I just couldn't get one. There, there weren't any on offer mm-hmm. uh, at the time. Is you know the, the journalism industry was starting to contract, and so I became a freelancer, and that was actually a really formative opportunity for me and a formative experience because I came to realize, okay, Dory, it, it's very clear. If you are going to get money that you need to pay your rent or to live, <laughs> you need to sell editors on stories that they are interested in. And I will tell you, nothing focused my attention more than that. I became like like this this superhuman maniac. Like oh, like anytime I'd like walk down the street, I'd be like, wait, is that a new restaurant? Could I review that restaurant? Wait, is that a person wearing plaid pants? Are plaid pants a trend? You know, I was just looking <laughs> That's awesome. for everything, and and it was actually amazing because it, it was this lens of understanding fully what your customer wants and becoming attuned to that. And so when you develop that skill, that mindset, anything opens up. You might have previously thought of yourself as, oh, well, I'm a graphic designer, or oh, I do websites, or oh, I uh, am a copywriter, or oh, I'm a project manager. But if you can flip it around to who are your customers, what do they want, what are the things you can do for them, which may or may not be the exact same things that you did in a full-time job, um, it begins to expand the the opportunities that you see out there. Wow, absolutely. It's funny because I was just speaking to someone the other day and they considered themselves an internet developer, but then he said just very innocently in passing, he goes, but what I figured out is they all had websites, but what they needed was this. 
Yes. And so that's a great example of of what you just described. I think it's happening all over. And I think the millennial generation is much more uh, in tune with that. I think the older we get, the more upset in our ways we get. You know, I just turned 50. And so I'm still in denial that I am not a millennial. But, um, you know, the people are like, well, this is what I do. I am a salesperson or I'm an engineer or whatever. And where I think the millennials are just kind of, you know, ebbing and flowing and and seeing whatever makes sense and they're looking for two things they want to be useful and they want to be in community what do you think you agree I, I think I think that's that's right on. I mean, there's definitely much more of an understanding, um, especially among younger people who have grown up uh, with the with the understanding that a guaranteed corporate job for life is just not the way of the world. I mean, I, I remember, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a millennial, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm older than them. And so I'm able to remember in the early 1990s, especially, I mean, that's really where I date the transformation uh, to, you know, seeing that barrage of newspaper headlines or, you know, leading the weekly news roundups about these massive corporate layoffs. I mean, tens of thousands of people at a go during the early 1990s recessions being laid off from these uh, these old line blue chip Fortune 500 companies. And people were just astonished. It was just like, what? This doesn't happen. This doesn't happen at IBM. This doesn't happen at, at at Sunbeam, and you know they see these these things, and and you know of course we we realize now that was that was the harbinger of the end of the implicit corporate contract, and I think since then there's been a, a far greater understanding that okay you know the the, the rules are different. Um, it's a little more um, you have to look out for yourself and your own career, and. You know that's not that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. It's just a different model. But it only becomes a problem if you're playing by the old rules and somebody else is playing by the new rules and you're not on the same page. If you can get on the same page, then you can do just fine. But you have to know what game is being played. Well, I totally agree with that. You know, you know, I think as you know, if people are listening and you're hearing what what Dory's talking about, right? And you're what is that version of walking down the street and seeing somebody with plaid pants and you're like, wow, is that something, you know, that I need to write about in your industry? So like for mine, you know, doing a lot of work with large corporations, Fortune 100 companies, the military, uh, here's something we really noticed was they had a high amount of turnover and their biggest level of satisfaction of some of the most brightest, beautiful people I've ever met was with their, their direct supervisor. And what were the common themes? So I actually went to the leadership of a couple large organizations, and I said, if we do this, this is going to fix your problem. This is what it's going to take. And it was really not on their radar. So we came in, we did this in a couple places, turned the organizations around, and now guess what? I am their trusted um, source. So you talk about becoming a trusted source. Because I, I thought out of the box and took a little bit of a risk going to them and saying, what the problem that you're focusing on is not the real problem. And in here's some feedback, if you guys are open to some candid feedback, because it's actually you at your level that is the reason that that is the biggest constraint for your organization. Would you let me come in and help you? So I think, you know, just also, you know, having sometimes that courage to be a little bit bold in your industry to go out and, and maybe offer some solutions that maybe other people um, don't realize they need until they can you help them connect the dots. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I love that. 
Now, let, so let, let's say we, you know we've 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 done this right. We've kind of really there's a big opportunity. I have this big desire. I've you know uh, done the hard work sometimes to slow down to speed up. What I mean is you know really kind of get in touch with who I am, what are my values, my passions, what I want to do, the causes I'm interested in, what is you know the kind of business and people I want to work with. Right. And now I've said, okay, here is something I really believe is a a problem that I'm uniquely um, suited to solve. Because now I actually have to turn that into a business. Or if I have a business, I either need to pivot or scale on what I'm already doing. And, you know, and you talk about it as the courage to monetize. And when you say courage, what do you mean by courage to monetize, Dory? Well, John. One of the themes that I heard in a lot of the conversations that I did for Entrepreneurial U was that in the early days of people starting their business or or beginning to gear it up, it was enormously emotionally difficult Mm, for them to figure out what to price themselves and how to charge what they were worth. It was, uh, I mean, you know, one part of it, of course, is factual and intellectual, like, you know, oh, well, what's common in the market and where do I want to position myself in the marketplace and, and things like that. But but an even bigger part of it was, oh, my gosh, am I worth this money or who am I to be charging these premium prices? Because especially if you're if you're starting on your own, it can be a little bit cognitively difficult. If you're used to having an annual salary, you're not necessarily th- – you know, thinking of of an hourly rate exactly. I mean, you know, if you've been making fifty thousand dollars a year, okay, great. But you know, to to ask for fifty thousand dollars for a project, or to ask for you know what you what what would be the equivalent of oh, it's two hundred fifty dollars an hour. That just seems mind blowing. And so being able to to adjust uh, your your mindset to to not feel embarrassed asking for that or nervous asking for that or like you're taking advantage of people that becomes really challenging for folks but of course it's it's necessary if you're going to be successful to be able to to know your value in the marketplace and to be able to to ask for it in a way that's not coming at it you know being too submissive or apologetic or or something like that but just you know knowing and stating confidently here's the fee you know, I, th- I think I can give you great value at this rate and feeling okay about it. But it really is a process of almost emotional transformation in a lot of ways that people need to go through to get there. You are so correct. When I first went out on my own from a speaking perspective, I would have these great conversations about how long and the topic and the audience. And it was wonderful. And then we'd get to the price part and I would just kind of like, uh, uh, well, uh, what, what's your budget? You know, that was my big line. Yeah. And I just $500. You know, like, You're like, up. oh, okay, I'm in. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> so I, I woke up one morning and forget the term, but I put on my big girl panties and I created an email address, booking scw at gmail.com. And I ghost negotiated and pretended that I was a finance person negotiating Sandra's fees. Now That's I'm giving amazing. my secret away. I don't do that anymore. I now have a staff. <laughs> that was five years ago. But it was so much easier for me to pretend to be somebody else because to talk about my own personal value was very, very uh, uneasy. You know, I came out of corporate America. You just got the paycheck, a direct deposited. You never talked about it. And so here I was face to face with a client having to put a number on my personal time. And that felt very different. So it sounds like that's the book I should have read first. 
<laughs> well, thank you. And that's such a great story. And, it, and it's really true. I mean, studies have, uh, have been done uh, many times that have shown that, uh, and, you know, everybody, of course, has a hard time negotiating, talking about salary, um, although there are some special uh, wrinkles that, uh, that women in the workplace face. And studies have shown that, interestingly, whereas w- women especially have, have a very hard time asking for, you know, for the full value for themselves, they are unstoppable when they are asked to negotiate for their friends. And, yeah. you know, they, they oh, you really? know, if, if they, really, I didn't know that. It, yes, yes, exactly. Because you're so, a tiger, you're fighting for Sandra because you know how awesome she is and, and vice versa, but when it's yourself. So what do you think that difference is? And is, is it something um, that we could help people with who are, you know, don't have somebody to negotiate on their behalf? Yeah, well, in in many ways, Sandra discovered the life hack, right? Which right. is negotiate for yourself like you're negotiating <laughs> for somebody I love else. That. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Creating that little bit of distance um, can give you enough perspective mm-hmm. and and just make it make it feel okay in in a in a different way. Um, so I I think that 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 may be one. Uh, relatively simple solution uh, beyond literally creating an alternative email address or an alternative identity. I think um, it, it can be useful to try emotionally to take a step back and to say, well, you know, wait a minute, you know, they, um, you know, here, here are my credentials. Here's how I can help the, you know, the audience here. Here's who they've had as past speakers. And I know that I'm just as good as them. Just reminding yourself of those things before going into the negotiation can be helpful helpful. You know, you know, here's something. Uh, I was working with a coach of mine and he looked at my fees and he looks at me like, dude, no, you'll never build a business with these fees. How do you underrate yourself? He goes, you are less per hour than a chiropractor. Do you want to be seen as just a commodity person? Right? He was serious. So he, what he challenged me to do was to increase my fees by almost 10x, like overnight. Wow. It was too big of a gap for me. But here's mm-hmm. so, but here's what I did do. Um, he goes, okay, how about this? The next client you get, double your fees. All right? And when you got that person locked in, the next client you get, double your fees again. So I went from 200 an hour to 400 an hour, and I kept moving it up, annual rates, until I got to a, a rate that was very significant. But I still remember the first person I was sitting there over lunch, and he said, how much are you? And I quoted him what my fee is to do executive coaching for a year. Um, and it felt totally awkward. And then uh, now one of my clients, uh, he was the first person that hired me and it was $500 a month. And that's for meeting three times a month. And I did a lot of work with his team, but now let's fast forward. We've been working together for two years. His business has grown, um, over 400%. His employee turnover has gone from 30% to zero in the last 18 months. So he has literally made seven figures, and he'll tell me it's because of our work together. So truly, what is the value? If I actually charged him 10% of the value, I actually should have been charging him fifty dollars or $100,000 a year every year the last two years, and it would have been an easy choice for him. So it's, it's, it's uh, uh, sometimes we kind of look at, if for me, if I break it down to an hourly rate, that's that man. I got. I think that stops people. But if you think about it in terms of the value you bring somebody, whether it's peace, finding that right career, turning their company around, becoming a better parent, whatever that is, whatever that gift that you give them, because you know you can work with them, 
what is that truly worth to somebody? And I think if you start thinking about it in those terms, the, the value it is to that person you're serving, um, that can also maybe help you move your fees in a direction that's actually going to allow you to create a business. Yeah, that's that's exactly right, and I think very well put. And th there's there's great resources about this too. Um, Alan Weiss has written a lot about uh, quote unquote value based pricing. You can probably find more about that on Google. Um, but his point, which I think is is right on, is that establishing in in-depth conversations with the buyer beforehand, what the the value actually is of, of the engagement. What will it mean to them? What will it do for them and their business? Helps you set the the conditions under which they, they really understand, oh, wait, if I am going to be getting seven figures of, uh, of upside on this, then it's not at all unreasonable for me to to pay, you know, X amount of money rather than, you know, nickeling and diming over, you know, oh, I don't know, you know, and, and it, it just makes the, the whole conversation a lot easier. Yeah, what, I had someone tell me one time, you know, I think as entrepreneurs and as speakers, we spend so much time trying to build our credibility and tell them all these cool things we've done. And they challenged me, stop doing that. They've already researched you before they sat down at the table. Don't try to sell yourself going backwards tell them what they're going to be able to do after interacting with you like what are you what are they going to see differently what are they going to accomplish and john just touched on that you know he didn't tell the guy ahead of time but the guy told him later so now you know sit down they already know about you and your accomplishments tell them how is your life going to be better with me on your team so to speak yeah, I think I think that's a great point. I mean, obviously it's important to have, you know, what I what I will call sufficient credibility, right? Because you want to you want to have enough so that you can get in the door. And uh, I I teach a, an, an online course um, about how to become a recognized expert and one of the the key three pillars that we teach is about social proof. So meaning, you know, what is your credibility? What are the things you can point to? Oh, well, you know, she ran a billion dollar company or you know, she um, you know, is the head of blah, 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 professional association, or she's been featured in X, Y, and Z magazines, you know, things like that show people, oh, this is not some random fly-by-night person that's inventing their credentials. You know, she's been verified by the marketplace. But once, once you have enough of that, um, which, you know, it frankly, doesn't have to be that many things, just a few are kind of marquee elements of social proof, then you can walk in and concentrate on other things. You're right that some, sometimes people get a little too obsessed with that stage and they keep adding more and more and more. And when it comes to becoming a recognized expert in the marketplace, one of the biggest challenges that I see, sometimes people come to me and they'll be frustrated. They'll be like, I've tried everything. I've been doing this for years and I'm not getting where I want to get. And the problem almost always is that you know, so there's three key elements, as I mentioned. There's social proof, content creation, and your network. What people who are doing it wrong will often do is they will keep investing in one of those things, the thing that feels the most comfortable to them. Mm. And they'll just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And then they get mad because doing that one thing isn't working. But doing one thing can't work. You actually have to do all three. You have to have sufficient social proof. You have to create content so that your name and brand is out there in the marketplace. And you have to build a network so you can have the people to refer you and to, you know, to, to kind of be your ambassador out there and to validate, uh, yeah, she's great. You should totally hire her. If you only have one of those components, it is not enough to get you the traction that you need to really build a successful business. 
Hey, let me throw in a plug to everybody listening, right? Dory just talked about um, you, you've done an amazing job of actually condensing uh, so many of these different areas down to something practical. So if you guys want to go to doryclark.com forward slash courses, um, and also just doryclark.com, just some incredible resources. I just want to throw that in you for, for you, Dory, because I really hope our audience on some of these areas, I know this is an area where people are, are you know, need to put in some work and some thought to be able to move forward. Um, so that's really kind, John. I appreciate it. And in fact, one, one other thing on related lines that I'll just mention, if folks are interested in thinking through how they can become recognized experts in, in the marketplace, one of the things that I've created that I actually am pretty, pretty proud of, I developed it in concert, uh, with the, the participants in my recognized expert course is, uh, a scored self-evaluation questionnaire that helps you figure out where in the three areas of content creation, network, and social proof you are strongest and where you are weakest and therefore where you should be focusing your energy. Um, so if anyone would like to get that for free, you can at doryclark.com slash toolkit. And, and that's the 88 question questionnaire? Actually, totally separate thing, as a oh, matter separate. of fact. Oh, separate, okay. So many amazing resources. <laughs> oh my God, you're so awesome. Okay, man, I just, feel, Sandra, I just feel like a complete slug. I need to get working. <laughs> All right, Dory, doryclark.com forward slash toolkit. All right, I'm Love just going to type that in right now. Um, okay, you know, folks, go there. There it is. Recognize expert evaluation. Because you know what? I think, you know, some of this mindset that's around, right? You know, we got to give ourselves permission to be the expert. You know, the best definition I heard as I was getting into this whole world, right? And I've, I'd had all these things that I've done in, in my past and in a leadership role, but now I was putting myself out there as a leadership coach and speaker and, you know, and, and so forth. But if you know just a little bit more in an area than the people you're talking to, just be comfortable with considering yourself an expert. And if you come across with that presence and that confidence, something that really helped me is, you know what? I am not the guru, but I'm more kind of like uh, Aragorn in the, you know, the, the trilogy of the rings. I'm like the, the, the guy, and I'm only a couple steps ahead of the hobbits. Uh, you know, I'm not the expert, but I've walked the path a little bit longer than they have, and I and I might be able to help you walk the same path and not stumble on the same things I did. And so I kind of knew my role, and for me, man, then I was kind of off to the races. I think that I think you've just found your tagline, John. It's John Ramstead, a couple of steps ahead of the hobbits. Love it. <laughs> That's right. And Ari- Aragon was really good looking too. So I'm just saying. Yeah, well, I don't got that going for me. I, I have a, I have a, I have a face for podcasting, which I'm, you know, I, I know my, I know my strengths, ladies. I love that though. Instead of trying to be all that in a bag of chips, you're saying, "Hey, I have walked this path several times before you. Let me just tell you what I did and what worked, and what I did and landed me flat on my face." And sometimes that authenticity actually strikes a client much more than a bunch of PR materials. Yeah, no totally. Doubt. But I have to say, I want to tell the audience, you know, I read a lot of books and I subscribe to a lot of newsletters and, you know, I'm not like a fangirl person, but Dory's stuff for me has been the most impactful because it's realistic, it's actionable, it's completely 
It's like not the 87 ways to wake up in the morning and become a public speaker overnight. I mean, it's it's real stuff. I mean, just the things she just shared that, you know, think about the, the three things she just said, you know, build social proof. OK, go do that. Create a website, you know, make sure your bio is ready. Get a YouTube channel, record some videos, have content. You know, someone told me you should be writing 200 uh, uh, words a day. Like, even if you don't publish them, write 200 words a day, put it out as a tweet or create it into um, blogs, whatever you do, but you have to be constantly creating content. And I'm a big video content person because I just, I'm from New Orleans and I like to talk with my hands and I can do it so much better when I'm on a camera. And then build your network. And, you know, it isn't like, oh, go out and net, do networking. It's intentionally, meticulously build a network of people that know you and can refer their friends and clients to you. I mean, that's three things. Just go do that every single morning and, you know, that and a little grace of the Lord and, you know, it'll work. I, I think that's that's great. And I have a tagline for you too, Sandra. I think you should totally go with the New Orleans thing. I think I, I am I am foreseeing a great uh, video uh, like talk series and advice and whatever. And we call it Cafe Olay with Sandra. How awesome is that? Ooh, love and it. I eat beignets the whole time. I have to have beignets. Yes. That gives me an excuse. <laughs> We can have like a little opening montage of you walking the streets of New Orleans. That would be the cool. Oh, my God. And the jazz playing in the background. This would be amazing. I love it. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? (laughs) There we go. We have to have music now, John. We just decided. (laughs) You know, and and you know where you should film is your old neighborhood. Because, I mean, the the journey you've taken from the neighborhood you grew up in, uh, which most people don't even realize kind of the obstacles you have overcome, Sandra, to get to where you're at. And man, just well, right I think there that's is, why... is just, you know, gives people hope. Well, that's why I feel so connected with Dory. You know, we both grew up in extremely small southern towns. We both were in gifted and talented programs and knew that we didn't fit in from early age. Um, You know, I didn't go to college at 14 like Dory did, but I did go at 17, you know, and I got a scholarship. But, you know, my whole point is, you know, whether you're parenting a a kid who's out there who's like this, you know, a, a kid who you're like, gosh, if only they fit in or if only they could, you know, have more friends. You know, I just, I really want to pour into that parent that, you know, be blessed by the child God gave you and look for their Ephesians 2.10 set of gifts and don't try to make them into something they're not. If I could just, you know, that's a whole other talk, right, Dory? But, you know, I I had parents that just kind of embraced my differences and encouraged me in it and let me start working at nine years old to save for college. And so, you know, it's here we are, right? We survived those environments, but at the same time, it made me who I am today. You know, I can talk to pretty much anyone. Yeah, that's, that's so wonderful. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think I, I feel, I feel very lucky that, you know, I have like the world's most supportive mom and she was always just, you know, so, uh, so happy to, you know, help me try to tap into resources or whenever I showed an interest in anything, she was always like all over it and trying to help me do that. I mean, she also made me do a lot of things that I was not that interested in, like ballet, but, <laughs> but nonetheless, she let me do the things I was mom. interested in too. <laughs> that's right. That's I right. I grew toe shoes. So, you know, I, I was lucky. I, that's funny. I have a ballet uh, dancer who I wanted to play softball. <laughs> and 
she rebelled. It wouldn't do any of my sports. And so now she's a, a, a really great dancer. So, you know, that, that just goes to show we want to make our kids, we want to turn them into us sometimes. And, you know, they were born with their own set of gifts and their own, you know, path that they've got to walk. So, you know, I love that your, your mom, when you showed interest in something, she was all over it. She's probably, you know, doing the, that version of Googling, right? Like, okay, she's interested in this. Where can I find that? Where's a, I had to do that recently. My, my six-year-old started beating people at chess at school, like in fourth grade, they were in fourth grade. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I should look into this. So, you know, parents find what they are excited about, like what they, their eyes light up and, and go do that. Right. Don't try to make it what everybody else is doing. Oh, we're going to do baseball and basketball and football and dance and cheerleading. Like, let them lead you. Right. And open the world to them to you know, show them what their choices are. Absolutely. Well, so, I want to meet your mom. Yeah. Well, we'll all <laughs> get together in New Orleans. Um, <laughs> That's right. Where did you grow up, Dory? I, gr- I grew up in North Carolina. North Carolina. A little town called Pinehurst. Pinehurst. We were just out there at Cary. My son was trying out for the uh, junior Olympic team for baseball. Oh, so my gosh. That's cool. He's 14 years old. Yeah. So, you know, encouraging those things. But here's a question for you, right? As you've you know gone through this, right, and I know you've dealt with all these mindset and, you know, these limiting beliefs and all these things. And as you went from kind of reinventing yourself to figuring out how to stand out, and I know that you've made that pivot to a successful businesswoman, and you have multiple streams of revenue. If you kind of look back as you kind of made that transition, what do you think the two or three, you know, for everybody listening and been listening to this conversation, the two or three keys or things that maybe you had to overcome or address or get some clarity on that helped you just kind of move to that next level? Yeah, thank you. I think there's there's probably a few inflection points that I can, that yeah. I can think of, John. One was... Uh, just a total lack of knowledge about entrepreneurship at all. Uh, It was something, you know, I mean, from the time that I was a little kid, you know, kind of like you, Sandra, I was really interested uh, in it. You know, I I always, you know, wanted to to do something. I'm like, oh, can I open an lemonade stand? Well, no, because there was nobody in, like we lived on this busy road and there was like no pedestrians because North Carolina doesn't believe in sidewalks. Okay, never mind. I'm like, oh, well, I could open a business doing this or doing that. Well, no, I couldn't do that. internet didn't exist. And my mom, you know, was always like, well, I'm sorry, you know, there's labor regulations. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I sort of had to just give up on, on all that for a long time. But so as an adult, entrepreneurship hadn't even really occurred to me as a possibility. And so I didn't know anything about it. I had been a journalist, I'd worked in politics, I'd run a nonprofit. But when the idea kind of popped into my head, I, I, began to realize uh, through running the nonprofit, um, oh, you know, this is the same thing. This is this is running a business. I could do this. But I knew there was so much I needed to learn. And so I spent a good year before actually making the leap into having my own business of just educating myself. And so I read every book in the library I could get my hands on. I signed up for all of these like adult education classes and things like that to try to just orient myself. And still, there was plenty of things I didn't know when I started. But having that time of very concerted uh, study was very valuable to me. And that's why I encourage a lot of people who are thinking about entrepreneurship to not just, you know, kind of, you know, make make a leap, like quit your job tomorrow and, and start something. I, I think that the longer your runway is, the better uh, in terms of your being able to plan and make a good transition that feels 
safe to you rather than some kind of economically precarious um you know, leap off of a bridge. I think another element of uh, of something that that helped me in in making the transition to being an entrepreneur was having the understanding. And I think this is true whether you're doing a product or a service or whatever. That oftentimes your first idea of what your business is going to be maybe is not going to be your last. I think I think oftentimes there's going to be a lot of pivots, whether it's a question of who your customers are or what services you're offering, and just getting comfortable with that. Originally, I had actually thought that my consulting business might be um, doing political consulting because, uh, mm. you know, I, I had done a lot of work in politics and thought that that, you know, I knew that was something I could do. Um, but my first clients that I landed weren't in politics. And it just for whatever reason seemed to be harder to land political clients than like other ones, nonprofits or businesses. And so I was willing to give that up and, and you know, mentally and just said, well, okay, if these are the people that want to hire me, then I guess these are the people that I'll be working with. Uh, so it, it required a little bit of adjustment, but, um, but I, I went into that. And so having a humility about what your original hypothesis is for what your business is. And then maybe the third is understanding how to listen to customers. So meaning... I had been doing my job for a long time. The original, uh, you know, once I settled into what the groove of my business was going to be, it was marketing strategy consulting. And so for a number of years, that was that was just what I did. I worked for for companies or nonprofits, and I would do like a marketing plan for them. But I, especially after I wrote my first book, Reinventing You, and then Stand Out came out, also aimed at individuals. I started to get inquiries from folks about doing executive coaching. And at first, my answer again and again was, no, I don't do that. Sorry, no, I don't do that. Because I, I didn't do that. I hadn't done that. But after a while, you, you start to hear yourself say no enough. And you realize, like, you're an idiot. People want you to do this. Why, like, why, don't, why don't you just say yes? Why don't you teach yourself how to do it? And so, uh, and so I began saying yes. And that opened up a whole new line of my business to me. And so understanding that sometimes your customers really are asking for something and you could, um, you could help them and also make money if you take off your blinders about what you do and start to listen to what the market thinks you can do or wants you to do. Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking, right. Um, you might have this, uh, you know, be predisposed to think of, I need to either operate this way or this is what I want to do. But like, right. People are asking you, Hey, would you coach me? Would you coach my friend? You're like, well, I don't do that. And if you had never walked down that path, that would have probably, uh, closed off some opportunities that have really enriched your life and the value you've given your clients and that, you know, uh, so I think, uh, having a flexible mind and kind of getting out of your own way, getting out of your box as you're listening to how you can meet the needs of the people that you're attracted to serving is, is a really actually important step that I do see holds people back. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, Hey, as we wrap up, so doryclark.com and, and my goodness, if you just go to what Inc. For, uh, Fortune, uh, Harvard Business Review. Uh, my goodness, just Google Dory Clark. And if you want to read something amazing, I would really encourage everybody out there to get to go to your Dory's website and get on her newsletter list. It's actually I I unsubscribe from everything. I, I get a couple hundred emails a day. It's ridiculous, Dory. And yours is one of the few that I have not put in my roll up. 
right? My rollup.com. Oh, wow. com, that is a I compliment. Actually, yes. I actually want it to come in my inbox so I don't wow. have to dig for it so I can actually read it. It's, it's actually that good. And just as Thank we wrap you, up, um, and you just shared some great thoughts, just any final thoughts for as people have been listening, just to kind of launch them you know, into you know, creating something awesome? Because you know what? Everybody has the ability to do that. Absolutely. I, I think the, the final thought that I'll share, John, is, you know, whether it comes to building, building your brand and getting, getting known for what you do, whether it comes to uh, questions of, you know, what do you charge and how do you, uh, how do you feel more confident asking for, for the value that you deserve? It, it is it is tricky for people. I mean, we're, we're socialized to, you know, to, to be humble and to, uh, you know, to not want to be, you know, self-promoting too much or be seen to brag or, or things like that. But the truth is it is a, it is a loud and crowded and noisy marketplace. And if we don't take the steps to make our talents known, the world is not going to hear about them. It's not like it just kind of happens. You have to make it happen. And, um, you know, just as, Yes, it's important to be to be humble in the sense of recognizing that we have limitations, recognizing that no, we're not perfect, but that doesn't mean we don't have something to give. Mm -hmm. And ideally, we want to share that gift with as many people as possible. You know, we do not we do not want to be hiding our light under a bushel. We want to be sharing it. And so, I, I think that if we can get comfortable taking those steps um, to uh, to to get ourselves out there and to make sure that the living that we're building for ourselves and our, and our families and the people around us is, is sustainable. That is the best gift that we can give ourselves and also hopefully the world. That is Amen. awesome. What do you think, Sandra? Take us, I take think us that's home. A, a fantastic. Well, I mean, Dory, just your, your lovely upbringing, um, you know, 14 going away to college. That's a whole podcast. We'll have to talk about some time from a parenting perspective, but I mean, I, what I love is you just tell people, Hey, here's what we can do. And you know, here's what you have to do. And you just lay it out very, very clearly. And I appreciate that. I mean, I meant what I said about, you know, your stuff is, has been really impactful in my life and in John's. And, um, you know, I just encourage people to go out there and check you out. And, and the newsletter is hilarious, by the way. It's funny. It's real. You know, it's authentic stories of her travels and her work. Um, you know, she's a professor at Duke Business School, and she's got all these amazing accolades, but she's just a really fun person who's a great writer and it could really impact you so thank yeah, we're you we're trying Dory, to get Dory to come out of her table. shell Sandra because I know when she does man it's going to be might, it's going to uh, be crazy what happens I know she's such a slacker I'm sure she's bored every single day <laughs> so oh my goodness awesome thank you Dory <laughs> so you, thank you, you are you are the best so blessed thank you both this has been so fun Sandra John I really appreciate the chance to talk with you Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. In 1994, Bob Buford penned the book Halftime, moving from success to significance. And in the more than 20 years since then, more than three quarters of a million copies have been sold. It's touched baby boomers in the 90s, and it's now touching the lives of both Gen Xers who are in that midlife season asking, is this all there is? As well as baby boomers who are searching for significance in retirement. To get a free copy of the book, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. And after you read it, if you have any questions, you can have a no obligation one hour of halftime coaching. 
eternalleadership.com slash halftime. You can't beat getting a free bestseller. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.